0: I got into a fight with one, three, five, seven, and nine. The odds were against me. Well, that's my title tonight. The odds uh, are against us. If you've got a Bible turn, how do, how do, you, how do you fight against the odds? And, and this guy we're looking at, Othniel, tonight was a guy who just won against the odds. Uh, judges, have I got it? Is the PowerPoint working, guys? There we go, there we go. And there is Othniel himself. Okay, Judges chapter three, verses seven to 11. You're wondering why I've got a picture of a Jack Russell behind me. All will be revealed. You'll have to stay awake throughout the duration of this message to understand why there is a Jack Russell on the screen behind me. Judges chapter three. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals and the Asherahs. The anger of the Lord burned against Israel, so he sold them into the hands of Rishathan, king of, why do I suddenly go quiet when I've got a bad name, um, Aram <laughs> Naharim, to whom the Israelites were subjected for eight years. But, then they, but when they cried to the Lord, he raised up for them a deliverer, Othniel. The son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother, who saved him. The spirit of the Lord came upon him. And so he became Israel's judge and went to war. And the Lord gave Cushath-Rethapham, king, king of Aram, into the hands of Othniel, who overpowered him. And the land had peace for 40 years until Othniel, son of Kenaz, died. Okay, it's a pretty undramatic section of scripture. But let me just introduce you to a cycle that repeats all the way through the book of Judges. What you've got here is a cycle. And you read the whole book of Judges as we're going to go through some of the heroes and judges over the weeks that follow, you're going to see a repeating cycle. And the cycle goes as follows. The people of God are really, really blessed. They have everything. They, they're so prosperous. They've got agriculture. They've got beautiful land they're living in. They're, everything's doing well. They're experiencing divine provision and healing and great things. And then in the middle of their prosperity, they forget God. And so often, that's the tragic story of all human beings, that when things are going great, we forget God. And so they forget God. And not only do they forget God, they turn to other gods. And that's often what happens, because we are born to worship. And if we're not worshiping the true God, lo and behold, we will be worshiping other gods. And so they turned away to other gods. And God then withdrew his hand of protection and provision over their lives. And they end up enslaved to a a king, a foreign, violent king. And they end up enslaved for eight years, the Bible says. And it was in that moment of utter rock bottom that they think, Oh God, we've got God. And they cry out to gods, And God raises up a deliverer, a judge. The Holy Spirit comes upon them, and the judge raises a military coup, and there is a whole revival, and the people of God are restored to their place of former glory, and then they are blessed because they're walking with God again. But as you turn into the next few chapters in Judges, it's not long before when they're blessed, they forget God, and God removes his hand of protection, and another enemy rises up and conquers them, and then they hit rock bottom, and then they think... We've got God, and God raises up a judge. So welcome to the book of Judges, and this is this cycle repeats and repeats and repeats. But actually, just as it says in the New Testament, God has given us these things as an example for our lives. The whole story of Israel is, is like, a, it's like a snapshot of humanity, and it gives us a picture of, I guess you could say this is the philosophy of nations and of history. This, this same cycle is exactly what you see in the world around us. God blesses peoples. God blesses people or individuals or nations. And with God's blessing, as they've turned to God, God blesses them. And then things start going well. And when you see the blessing of God in a nation and people following God, it's not long before prosperity, financial prosperity, and health and education and a whole lot of stuff follow. And then the tragedy is, oftentimes we've seen this in history, is that the very blessing of God causes people to ignore God. They focus on the blessing rather than the blesser. They forget the God who blessed them. And they turn aside to all sorts of other things. And they end up hitting rock bottom. That cycle, we are in that cycle just now. That cycle happens all over the world, in all nations. And maybe actually that cycle is happening in your life. Three stages to the cycle, spiritual apostasy, so they turn away from God. Second, second stage of the cycle is moral awfulness, and the third stage of the cycle is political anarchy. I don't know what stage you figure we're in in the United Kingdom. I think we're in the moral awfulness stage of the cycle, uh, but that doesn't, it doesn't take long before political anarchy follows. Just because things have been the way things have been, it doesn't mean things will continue the way things have been. Things change awful quickly. We're so stuck in our present time. If you read history, you suddenly realize that within 100 years, everything can change. Yeah, that, that, that is the cycle of history. It's a cycle of humanity. But maybe it's also the cycle of your life, that you've seen God bless you. and oh, God bless you. <laughs> you've seen God. God bless you. Perfect timing. But then... But then in, in the middle of the blessing, you forget the God who blessed you and you turn aside to other stuff. You could call them gods. But that, those gods might come in the form of hobbies or relationships or, or stuff yourself. And we start pursuing other things until we suddenly forget the God who blessed us in the first place. And lo and behold, what happens is what always happens when you forget God, human beings don't do well without God. Human beings hit rock bottom. And the tragedy is this, often it takes rock bottom before we realize, I need God. How thick are we that it takes rock bottom for us to figure that? Me and Sammy did some interviews with people in city center Edinburgh a few years back to do a film clip, and we're interviewing, asking people about life and about faith. And and what we found was this, people who were in the suits were typically disinterested in God and faith. But then we talked to some homeless people and they believed in God and they trusted in God and they were looking for God. Isn't that weird? Is it that the homeless people are so much more unintelligent and the ones in suits are so much more sophisticated and they've got life sorted out so much? Not all. It's because often we only turn to God when we're hitting rock bottom because it, it re- makes us realize our true need. And this is the story in Judges. And I guess this... I don't have a slick three-point message for you tonight. I'm just going to take you on a journey. Just as I've been unpacking this guy, Othniel, I'm going to unpack it with you. So for, I, think, I think what I see in Othniel is courage. Courage to face, to face the future, to face, stand up in the face of failure, despite failure to stand strong. You know, if I was to ask you, who's heard of Samson or Gideon? Give me a show of hands. Samson and Gideon in the Bible. Right, most people. If I was to ask you, who's heard of Othniel? <laughs> I, I don't know. It was, you know, who was he? And the, the reason you don't know much about him is because there's not much dramatic about his life. We just read his account. It's very undramatic. I mean, you read about Samson. He did just tons of stuff. You know, he, he, he did dramatic things. Gideon saw very dramatic miracles. Othniel... It's pretty straightforward. Just a few verses that we've read. But what I discover is that as I go to Othniel, is here's what I admire. We see this cycle of failure, hitting rock bottom, turning to God's deliverance, success, forgetting God's failure. We see the cycle because we've got the book of Judges. Othniel hadn't seen that cycle. All he had seen, all he had seen was the blessing of God. All he'd seen, he'd he'd grown up in a generation where the generation before had been going through the wilderness. He'd probably lived in the wilderness himself. He'd come out of the wilderness. He'd seen God's miraculous provision every day in the wilderness. Every morning they woke up and there was manna, miraculous provision of food on the grounds from God. He came came with his whole generation to the edge of the promised land, came to the river Jordan. He saw the miracle of the Jordan stopping and then walking through in dry grounds. He saw the miracle of them conquering Jericho. He saw God's amazing provision and they took over the entire land just as God had promised. He saw that. He had seen only success, 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 success all his life. He'd grown up living in God's miraculous provision. And now all of a sudden, for the last eight years, the nation who had been at the head of the nations was now the tail of the nations. All of a sudden he had seen a whole nation go from success and walking with gods and God being glorified to all of a sudden turning away from gods and looking at absolute failures they were oppressed and they were afflicted and he hadn't seen any of that before and so he was all of a sudden was faced with the challenge it's like a football team football team has just seen success after success after success remember if you're into Scottish football I mean Celtic most of most of last season just Win, 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 win. Had a huge winning streak. And then all of a sudden, hearts, by the grace of God, beat Celtic. <laughs> no, no, I'm just kidding. You. I, it's, I know, I know it's true, but I, I'm just kidding because I'm not party, partisan. Anyway, but you, you just think they hit Celtic had won, one 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 Then all of a sudden, they experienced something they hadn't experienced before, defeat. And it shook them. I mean, I can imagine that would have shaken them big style. I can imagine going into the next game, as a Celtic player, and as the manager, you just wouldn't know how to navigate that next one, because you hadn't had the defeat for so long. And for Othniel, he hadn't seen defeat. And he is now facing huge defeat in the nation. So where did he get the courage, having never seen defeat before? Where did he see the courage to step out against the odds and see an entire generation turn back to God? Where did he get that courage? Okay, here's my next thought. He married into the right family. Okay, so here's, here's what I do when I'm unpacking the Bible. I, I see a, a set of verses. So Dan said, hey, Pete, let's, let's go through Judges. So we start working through Judges. And I get these reverses, verses and I think, all right, okay, that's what I've got to work with. Well, who was Othniel? So then you start digging. You just start asking questions and you just start letting the Bible speak. And you start digging around and you suddenly realize there was a backdrop to Othniel's life that gave him the courage to stand again against the odds. Back in in a bit of a journey. So this is Israel's journey, and it's specifically Caleb's journey. Israel had been delivered by God from Egypt. They They had been there for about 400 years, and they were slaves. And you know the amazing account of how God raised up Moses, and Moses' by the hand of God, saw incredible miracles take place. And then eventually, the Israelites were set free from their captivity. And they were heading through a, through a Red Sea into a, into a wilderness, heading for a promised land. An incredible account. Now, that journey through the, through the wilderness should actually only have taken a matter of months. And it actually only did. And they came to the edge of the promised lands, And the people of God, they should have just gone in and taken the land like God had promised. But you know the story. Moses sent out 12 spies. And the 12 spies represented the 12 tribes. And they went out and they saw the lands. And all of them agreed on this. It is an amazing lands. It is a blessed lands. It is a good land. But here's what 10 of them saw and here's what two of them saw. 10 of the spies saw the great land but also saw all the barriers to them going in. They saw the military prowess of the people in the lands. They saw the intimidating stature of some of the people. And they said, man, the challenges are too big. You've brought us through a wilderness to only have us die fighting for a land. Two of them, however, Joshua and Caleb, believed God against the odds that God could give them that great land, just like God had promised. So they came to that edge of the lands, didn't they believe God's, And those two believed God. The the other ten didn't. And the people of Israel went with the ten. They went with the unbelieving voice. Tragedy. The whole people fell into unbelief. And God said, they're not going to go in. And that entire generation, it should have taken them months to get into the promised lands. But the whole generation died in a wilderness. Forty years. Say 40 40 years that generation wandered around the mountain in a wilderness and they should have been living in a promised land because of unbelief about a million and a half people died in a wilderness Joshua and Caleb lived now what are the odds what are the odds that two people we're going to see the promised land and a million and a half people die but you two get in what are the odds it kind of goes against the odds that two people, Joshua and Caleb, they believed God. They believed God could give them the victory. And God saw to it that they went in and took the promised land. Now it comes to Joshua chapter 14. Let me read to you Caleb's account. Now the people of Judah approached Joshua at Gilgal. And Caleb, son of Jethonah, the Kenizzite, said to him, As you know that the Lord, what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God at Kadesh Barnea, and about you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land. And I brought back to him a report according to my convictions. But the fellow Israelites who went up with me made the hearts of the people melt in fear. That's the other spies. I, however, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. So on that day, Moses swore to me, the land in which your feet have walked will be your inheritance, that you and, your ch- and, and that of your children forever Because you have followed the Lord your God wholeheartedly. Now then, just as the Lord promised and kept me alive for this 45 years since the time that he said this to Moses, while the Israelites moved around in the wilderness, so I am today, 85 years old. I'm still as strong today as the day that Moses sent me out. And I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. Now give me this hill country that the Lord promised me on that day. You yourself heard that the Anakites were there in their, in their cities, were large, large and fortified, but the Lord helping me, I will drive them out, just as he said. Then Joshua blessed Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and he gave him Hebron as his inheritance. So Hebron belonged to Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, ever since, because he followed the Lord his God, the God of Israel, wholeheartedly. Say wholeheartedly. I love this. So here's Caleb? He's 85 years old. You know, he's not thinking of retirement. He, he and Joshua, the only ones who survived of the million and a half people in the wilderness. Why? Because they were the people of faith and God saw to it that they walked into the land that they believed they would walk into. Incredible, against the odds. He walks into the land and he's now 85 and he's saying, right, what's the, what's the next challenge? He's just still up for it. I love that. I wanna be like that when I'm 85. Who wants to be like that when they're 85? Just kind of a little bit... A bit wild, a little bit nuts, up for a fight, kind of ready for anything, taking ground mentality. Love that. Let me take you to Judges chapter 1 now. Judges chapter 1, this is where Othniel is first mentioned. This is the judge we're looking at today. And Caleb said, I will give my daughter, Akshah, in marriage to the man who attacks and captures Kiriath Sefer. So Caleb, he had a daughter. You, you know, what's Caleb's agenda, Caleb's spirit? What's his attitude in life? He's a man of faith. He's a man who's always up for a challenge. He's a man who's not settling for second best. He's a man who's he's not saying, I'll just take second best. I'm, I believe God for the best. That's what he's like. And here he's now got a daughter. What kind of man do you reckon he'd want his daughter to marry? Do you not think it'd be a man of faith? Do you not think he's, I want my daughter to marry a man who's just walking with God, who's got a tenacity of spirit, who's got a passion for God, who's wholehearted, just like me. So he says, okay, the guy who takes that bit of land gets my daughter. That's who we test. Othniel, son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother, took it. So Caleb gave his daughter, Aksha, to him in marriage. What a scary father-in-law to have. <laughs> you know, 85-year-old warrior dudes is your father-in-law. That's kind of scary, isn't it? Wow. Um, My daughter's got a boyfriend just now, and uh, he texted me to ask permission to ask my daughter out. I thought, that's that's a good start. Okay, so I got a text message out of the blue. He's in the church, and he texted me saying, do you, do you mind if I ask your daughter out? So I, I I, said, well, thanks for asking. That's really good. So yes, you can you can take her out. So, uh, and I said, because he's got to pass the Pete test. Okay. It's a very high standard. So I said, here's what we do. We, we go for a coffee. Uh, so I, I said, I'm going to take you for a Starbucks. And uh, I want you to listen to this dating talk I did ahead of that meeting. I just wanted to scare the heebie-jeebies into him. Basically, that, 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 was, that was the... That's the, his mum and dad are here tonight. You, you, know, you know I love him. Um, and so we, we sat in Starbucks. Uh, I put my revolver on the table. And um, we, I just, we just sat in silence and I stared at him for the first fact. No, I'm kidding. You. I'm kidding. You. I, I, it wasn't like that. But, but you, you know, you think I'm scary. This, this guy, scary. So scary. 85-year-old warrior dudes, conquered lands. Now he's your father-in-law. Oh. That's Othniel. He's got this scary father-in-law. But there's something the father-in-law saw in him that he liked because same spirit as me. You're an up for it kind of guy. You're a ground taker. You're a person of faith. So this is Othniel, this judge we're looking at. Then it goes on, and says in verse 14, one day when she, she came to Othniel, this is, this is his wife now. This is kind of warrior father-in-law's daughter. Uh, she, she urged him to ask her father for a field. When she got off her donkey, Caleb asked her what can I do for you? And she replied, Do me a special favor. Since you have given me, given me in the Negev, give me also. Springs so Caleb gave her the upper and lower springs. Caleb saw his daughter come and she was asking for more. And Caleb gave her her request. Why? Because that's the kind of mentality that was in him. He liked that spirit that asked and believed for more. And you know what? I see God's responding to that kind of faith. Caleb was the guy who believed that God could give them the promised land. Despite Caleb was the guy who, he believed that even though he was 85 years old, despite his age, he could still take land and territory. He was a guy who believed that God could do things for them. So when his daughter comes and says, can I have some more? He responded positively. Rather than saying, Don't be so greedy, he says, Yes, you can. Because I think that's exactly how God responds to faith. Do you know God responds to faith? God is not a respecter of persons, but He is a respecter of faith. He does. God's moved by faith. He's not moved by needs. You can plead with God as much as you want, He's not moved by needs. God is moved by faith. He's moved by faith. You look at the life of Jesus. You've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. You know how God moved? God always moves in response to faith. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6 says, Without faith it's impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. You can't, faith isn't just, oh yeah, God's there. Faith is believing that God is and that he is a rewarder. In other words, faith is an expectation of God's goodness in your life. Faith isn't just in neutral. Faith isn't just expecting that God will be neutral towards you. Faith is an expectation that God is off the fence, that God is for you, and he wants to do good things for you. That's what faith is. And God is not offended by that. He's blessed by that. God's not thinking, you cocky little so-and-so. God's thinking, I like that. I respond to that. Jesus never once rebuked anyone for asking too much. Never once. He regularly rebuked people for expecting too little. Expecting too little of a great God is an offensive thing to that great God. Expecting much from him is paying him a compliment. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. For those who come to him must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder. Alexander the Great said Uh, this this great general, it said that he had a general in his army and he was very close to this general and he loved the general and his family. And one day, the general came to ask Alexander the Great for a favor. He said, my daughter is getting married and I wonder if you could help me with the wedding. It's going to be very expensive. Please, could you help with the resources to make the wedding happen? And Alexander the Great said, of course, you're one of my most trusted and loved lieutenants. Go to the treasurer and tell him how much you need and it'll be yours. So the man disappeared off, spoke to the treasurer, and the treasurer, when the treasurer heard the amount the man was asking, said, well, just wait here, and he disappeared off to speak to Alexander the Great. And he said to Alexander the Great, do you have any idea how much this man is asking for? And Alexander the Great said, no, just tell me. So the, 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 the treasurer told him the amount, and Alexander the Great said, well, that's fine, give him the amount. And the treasurer said, that's a huge amount of money, and Alexander the Great said this, do you not realize that he has paid me a compliment? Because by asking for such a ridiculous sum of money, it shows that he, he believes that I am both rich and generous. Give it to him. You see, by asking God for big asks, you're actually paying God a compliment. You are not just believing that he's, all things are possible with him, but you're believing that he's actually for you. You're believing he's not just rich, but he's also rich and generous. He is a rewarder of those who earnestly seek him. I love this verse in a hymn by John Newton. It says, thou art coming to a king, large petitions with thee bring, for his grace and power are such that none can ever ask too much. Jesus often in parables talking about prayer talks about this kind of tenacity that we should have. He tells a story of a friend who goes to a friend in the middle of the night and says, I've got guests coming to my house, and they're needing loaves of bread. And 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 Quoting from Luke's gospel, "I I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me, the door is already locked, my children are in bed, I cannot get up and give you anything. Jesus said, I tell you that even though they will not get up and give you bread because of friendship... Yet because of your shameless audacity, say shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. Jesus was taught teaching us how to pray. And he said, you should pray with a shameless audacity, a perseverance. Uh, I'm not quitting until you answer mentality. See, the reason I ask God for similar things pretty much day in, day out, day in, day out, and I have done so for years It's because I have the shameless audacity to believe that God doesn't want to leave things the way things are. I believe he's good and what I see isn't good. And I'm asking him to change what I'm seeing. And I believe God answers those prayers. I believe I will not die before I see the answers to my prayers because I believe he's a good God. I have the shameless audacity to come day in day and petition heaven on behalf of others and believe that God will do great things because I believe he's good. I really believe he's good. I, I I do base my entire life on that. You know, you know what the name Caleb means? Anyone know what the name Caleb means? It, it's, so, it's associated with courage. But the literal meaning of the name is dog. Oh! Dog. Whenever I think of the name Caleb, and it literally means dog. Whenever I think of the name Caleb, I have a little Jack Russell in my head. And whenever I think of a Jack Russell, I have two stories I remember. One story was the local priest in the village I grew up in had a Jack Russell. And in the, the grounds of the chapel, there was a very smooth concrete road. And me and my mates used to skateboard there. We loved skateboarding down that road. It was a great downhill so we, we went there often to skateboard up and down that hill. The, the, the priest owned the Jack Russell. And whenever the Jack Russell was out and about and we were skateboarding there, that little Jack Russell, man, oh, we would get on our skateboards and we'd be hurtling down the hill. And that little Jack Russell would chase us. Man, it's, we're huge. It's tiny. It would chase us vehemently. <laughs> And we're trying to skateboard down. This little thing's after us, at our ankles, just not quitting on us. He's going to take on the skaters. And we were so much more bigger than the Jack Russell. But the Jack Russell had this kind of, I'll take you on mentality. So whenever I think of Caleb, I think of this kind of Jack Russell mentality. A little bit loopy. Mental. Just anyone seen a Jack Russell like that? Just little... They take on things twice their size or three times their size. And I love that kind of spirit. I think God does too. And I think that's what Othniel had. The reason he had the courage to face something that was so much bigger than him is because he had this came same kind of spirit as Caleb, his father in law. And I love people who take on insurmountable odds. This morning I was in our south location chatting to a couple there William and Leslie Wells. William was diagnosed three years ago with cancer in his bones told he had a short time to live. He, like a little Jack Russell, had the faith to believe God, came and trusted God, came out every Sunday for prayer. He had a scan in the last four or five months. Not a trace of cancer seen. Not a trace of cancer seen. It was in his bones. It was, it was in his bones, folks, in his bones. And they, they say when it's in your bones, that's it. There's nothing more you can do. Disappeared. That spirit doesn't matter what the odds are, just come against it. You know we're planting churches in a post-Christian culture. That's against the flow, folks. People are leaving churches and we're starting churches. That's against the flow. We've got to have that same spirit, just like Caleb. Doesn't matter what the odds say. We believe God. I can hire the Usher Hall. Let's do a conference in the Usher Hall. Let's believe God for more. Just this same spirit as Caleb. I just believe that God wants to do bigger things. We've ever seen. The other story I think of when I think of Jack russell's is Andrew Owen's story. You've heard me tell this before. It's so funny. Andrew Owen's janitor had a little Jack Russell dog. So Andrew Owen, when he was at school as a kid, his the janitor of the school had a little Jack Russell dog, and the kids would play with the dog and and hold up sticks. And the Jack Russell would jump on and hold onto the stick. Literally, you would hold the stick, and Jack Russell would be hanging off it. <laughs> he just wouldn't drop it. This Jack Russell just refused to quit on the stick. And one day, Andrew and his friends, they got to a, a, a branch of a tree, and they bent the branch of the tree right down nice and low, and they wiggled the end of the branch, and they, Rover, I, I don't know if that's really its name, it's just most dogs I know are called Rover, Rover, and on came a little, okay, in fact, Caleb, 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 and it wiggled, wiggled the stick, and then, oh, a bigger stick, and it comes and grabs onto that stick, and then they let go of the branch. Foom! And we thing just hang on there, just hang on there, hang on there. And today, years later, if you go to that playground, there in the playground is a skeleton of a Jack Russell hanging on. <laughs> I made that bit up. But I just love that mentality. I think, I just will not quit. And I think when I think of Caleb, I think of that. Listen, listen to this verse about Caleb, Numbers 14, 24. Because my servant Caleb is a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly. Say wholeheartedly. I'll bring him into the lands which he went into. And his descendants will inherit it. 1.5 million people didn't make it in. But Caleb, because of his faith, because of his God sees your faith. Others might not. Others might not even respect you. But God sees your faith and God honors faith. And his descendants, including his son-in-law, inherited lands, took grounds. Next point I want to make is this. You've got to associate with people of faith. Othniel caught Caleb's faith. You increase by association. Say that with me. Increase by association. Why is it that certain groupings of people who are successful have people around them who are successful? I'm I'm trying to articulate something I see. So for example... You've got a bunch of people who are doing great things in America. Bill Wilson leads America's biggest Sunday school in the Bronx. Tens of thousands of children. Ten, and he's done it for years. Generations of children. Tens of thousands. Huge Sunday school, Bill Wilson. Matthew Barnett, the Dream Center in Los Angeles. Seeing thousands come free from addiction. Massive church in the Angelius Temple. Amazing Charles Neiman in El Paso, Texas. Huge church, Christian Faith Center. Massive church, thousands of people. What do they all have in common? Tommy Barnett. They're all mentored by Tommy Barnett. Now, what would the chances be of one mentor seeing three people they're mentoring, all of them leading huge-scale works? Is that an accident? Okay, it's another example of exactly what I'm talking about here: increased by association. You have Peter Pretorius. He's seen over 13 million people decide to follow Jesus. We've not speak in this church. Huge crusades in Africa. I think 1,000, 13 million decisions for Jesus in Africa. Every day he feeds and clothes and educates one and a half million kids. Every day. So there's Peter Pretorius. Then you got At Boshev, who leads CRC. At Boshev, every Sunday in South Africa. They have a weekly attendance of 142,000 people across their services in several cities in South Africa. And you have many, many others. Reinhard Bonke, huge influencer in Africa, has seen millions saved. What do they all have in common? Ray McCauley. What are the chances of a bunch of people who would say, oh yeah, he's our pastor. Ray McCauley mentored us. What are the chances of one person being associated with three hugely successful? And that's just the tip of the iceberg with Ray Macaulay. There are so many who would say, he's our spiritual father. The reality is, you catch what people have got. It says it in the Bible, Proverbs 27, verse 17. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. 1 Corinthians fifteen thirty-three. it says it negatively. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Success breeds success. Failure breeds failure. You become like those you associate with. That's just a natural law, it's also a spiritual law. There's a, a man by the name of uh, Moran Serf. Uh, he's a neuroscientist at Northwestern University, North, Northwestern University in America. And he'd been studying decision-making and the decision-making process for about decades. And he discovered, having done research on people as they were in conversations and in different trial environments, he discovered that when people spend time with each other, their waves start aligning with each other's brainwaves. And this is a quote, he said this, the more we study engagement, we see time and time again that, uh, that, just, that just being next to a certain people next to a certain person, aligns our brains with theirs. And so their brainwave starts aligning with the people in in the same room with. And now we see that, but we usually see it at the other ends. You see people, uh, you see kids hanging out with the wrong crowd and they end up doing the wrong things. You've seen that before, right? Hanging out with the wrong people, you end up going the wrong place, okay? You know, the companion of fools suffered harm, it says. Don't hang out with the wrong people. Now we see that in behavior, but I have to tell you, before it gets to behavior, it starts in your thinking, So what happens is you spend time with the wrong people. Here's the first thing that happens. Your inner workings start aligning with their inner workings. And then it's not long before your behavior starts looking like their behavior. But it starts on the inside. And so the Bible teaches. You start catching what someone else has got. And I I think this is exactly what happens with Caleb and Othniel. I think he, he, he started getting some of Caleb's faith. Caleb had faith for the previous generation. Now, God, what are the chances of someone so associated with Caleb being the next person that God uses in the next generation? What are the chances? Huge chances. Because you become like those you associate with. Increase by association. You want to go into a great place in life? Hang out with great people. You want strong faith? Hang out with people of strong faith. You want to bear good fruit? Hang out with people who are bearing good fruit, not mutters. God will bless you but God will also give you the wisdom to hang out with people he's blessing. It, it says in Judges chapter 3, verse 9, Then they cried to the Lord, and he raised up for them a deliverer, Othniel, son of Ken, uh, Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother, who saved them. Confidence came to people. How? Because confidence came to a leader. God gave confidence and boldness to a leader, and then all of a sudden, the people got the confidence from God, but it came through a leader. Do you know God's answer to their prayer was a leader? God's answer to their prayer when they were in the bottom of the bottom was God brought a leader into their lives. And do you know what? That's exactly what God's done all through history. When God wanted to cause a Reformation, He raised up a Martin Luther. You, can't, you cannot separate the Reformation from Martin Luther. You can't. When God wanted to change the United Kingdom in the 18th century, God raised up a John Wesley and a Charles Wesley and a George Whitfield and a William Wilberforce and a Lord Shaftesbury, people who changed education, people who changed working situations, people who brought spiritual revival, people who set slaves free. God raised up people, leaders. You cannot avoid, there is an indispensability of God answering our prayers by giving us leaders. God wants to change the situation in Hong Kong with drug addiction and actually in many parts of Asia. He raises up a Jackie Pullinger. God raises up leaders in answer to prayer. And this is the point, the people got courage, the people got faith because God raised up a leader of faith and the people got what was in the leader. And this is so important. So I wanna encourage you, be associated with the right people. Don't just come to church, be planted in church. Don't just turn up on a Sunday, be part of a small group. You will increase by association. Church, this church is part of a network of churches. We're in Destiny Ministries. You don't know that, but that actually affects you. You you don't know Andrew Owen personally, but I assure you, Andrew Owen being my mentor affects my faith in a very positive way. I wouldn't be who I am were it not for God blessing me with a leader in my life. And you don't realize this. You don't know Andrew Owen. You wouldn't know him. Maybe you've never even met him before, but the reality is his impacting you. So, it's not just, oh, I'm part of Destiny Edinburgh, stuff the rest. No, no, we're part of Destiny Ministries. So, for example, Surge isn't just, oh, that's a thing they're doing, it's just an event. It's not an event. It's a spiritual thing. This is part of who we are. This is about our foundation. This is about you getting catapulted into another level. This, uh, don't, don't just tag along. Throw yourself in. Plug in. Understand the spiritual dynamics of what's taking place. You will increase by association. Realize that and then maximize that in your life. You wanna catch the faith? You wanna catch an anointing for the next season in your life? That's your key. Throw yourself in. Plug into church like never before. Throw your weight behind what we're doing and I believe that there will be a tangible anointing result in your life. Say amen if you agree. You and God are the majority. That's the next thing I realized when I read this. I'm just gonna bring this into land. Judges 3 verse 7 and 8. The Israelites did what was evil in the eyes of the Lord. They had forgotten the Lord their God and served the Baals and the Asherahs. Then the anger of the Lord burned against Israel so that he sold them into the hands of Cushan Rishatham, the king of Aram the Hiram, whom the, uh, to whom the Israelites were subject for eight years. You know, I see so many parallels to our, our generation. Christians used to be the majority in the United Kingdom. According to Barna's latest research, in the UK, only 2% of people are evangelical-believing Christians. 2%. That makes us an unreached people group. Missionaries used to speak about, all oh, the unreached people groups. Oh, we need to go to those unreached territories. We are an unreached people group. We've gone from the majority to the minority. We've forgotten God. The nation's turned away from God. You know, Britain likes the benefits of Christianity, the morals, the education system, which actually was, came from the church, the healthcare system, the whole idea of healthcare free for all. where did that idea come from? I know. Ed, our legal system. All these things which were grounded on the teachings of Jesus and the principles of Christianity. They're the things that made Great Britain great, but many people have forgotten what made it Great. God. And what they do is they love the house, but they are eroding the foundation. They're scooping out the foundation. We don't want these principles. We don't want these truths. And the thing is, if you scoop out the foundation, it won't be long before the walls crack. And that's, I don't want to prophesy doom and gloom in the nation. We're going to see blessing. But the reality is, the house doesn't stand if it doesn't have foundations. The house got to where the house is because of Christianity and the removal of Christianity. Will be devastating for our nation. How does God change things? Listen to what it says in verse 10. The Spirit of the Lord came on him, so that he became Israel's judge and went to war. And the Lord gave Cushan, Reshethethim, the king of Aram, into his hands, into the hands of Othniel, who overpowered him. The headline is this The Spirit of God came on this man, Othniel. But the backstory is this: Othniel was a man of faith. And you cannot separate the two. This wasn't just all God, or the Spirit of the Lord did it all. And it wasn't all man, or Othniel did it all. It's a partnership. The Holy Spirit is attracted to people of faith, just like demon spirits are attracted to fear in people's lives. Just like flies to dung. Demons are attracted to fear. The Holy Spirit, God's, is attracted to people's faith. Othniel was a man of faith, and the Holy Spirit came upon a man of faith. Are you a person God can work with? It says in Judges chapter three, verse eleven. So the land had peace forty years until Othniel, son of Kenaz, died. Forty in the Bible is often associated with a generation. How many years were they in the wilderness? 40 years. That represented an entire generation. So when it says the land had peace, 40 years, that was a literal peace, an historical peace. But 40, it just so happened to be, that is also the number associated with the generation. In other words, he saw an entire generation saved. That's that's what the Bible's saying here. He saw an entire generation saved. Othniel wasn't as famous as Samson and Gideon. He was kind of under the radar, but he did impact a generation. He did. And you may or may not be, I may or may not be famous. doesn't matter. But what does matter is that our lives bring an impact in our generation. Just now we're living in very spiritually dark times, but God wants to bring an awakening. And God will always do that through people. His Spirit will come upon people who have faith, who can believe that God will do things in their generation even if it's against the odds. Be a person of faith. Be someone who the Holy Spirit can anoint and empower. Unseen heroes behind the scenes. We exist for our generation. Our generation would see God-glorifying, disciple-making local churches. That's what we want to see. And I believe every generation, God commissions people, not just to make disciples in all the worlds, but God commissions us to make disciples in all the world in our generation. You only get one generation. You only get one moment. It's not like we get another try at this. We get one generation to impact this generation. I, I see Othniel's impact. Sure, there was eight years of a bad time, but there was a 40 years of a transformation that came as a result, a spiritual revival that came in the back of a political revolution that came on the back of a man who was a man of faith, believing God and the Holy Spirit anointed him. So be those people. It says about David's, in Acts chapter 13, That David, after he'd served God's purpose in his generation, fell asleep. And he was laid among his fathers and underwent decay. (laughs) Bit of a negative ending to the verse. But the point is this. He served God's purpose in his generation. I mean, you can't serve God's purpose in any other generation. This is one. This is it. Pinch yourself. This is the moment. This is your moment. It's not like there's another moment coming. Or I wish we were back in the days of John Wesley. Stuff it. We're not in the days of John Wesley. You can learn about them. You're in the days of now okay? This is the days of your life. This is, and the Bible tells us in Acts 17 that God appointed your times and the places of your habitation. There is no accident you were in Edinburgh in 2018. No accident at all. You are alive. Your heart is beating. God has placed you here. You're in this room by God's deliberate intention. We are in connection because God has made it so. God has a plan for you because God has a plan for this generation. There is a destiny. I do not want to abandon our generation to the powers that are at work, manipulating, pulling the strings, and leading them into further darkness. God wants to bring an awakening in our land, and he does it through people like us. So who's up for it? Who's up for it? Let's pray. God, thank you for Othniel. God is... It's a pretty undramatic set of verses about Othniel, but we see his faith and we see that you used him to see an entire generation come back and connect with God. Father, I pray that same faith, that willingness to stand against the odds, to go against the tide, to believe God for bigger results, that faith, that same faith will be resident in our lives. In Jesus' name. I pray we will not be tame Christians. I pray we will not be bland Christians. I pray we will be courageous believers, radical in our faith, and yet loving in our outworking. I pray, God, that we will be people on whom the Holy Spirit comes with power. I pray, God, so in the Old Testament, we see the select few, the the individual judges that the Holy Spirit would come upon. But we thank you in the New Testament, the Bible says that God's Spirit has been poured out on all flesh. So we say, God, would you use us? God, would you use us in our generation? I believe God tonight is challenging you to not blend with the crowds. But I believe God is challenging you stirring you with your destiny. You know you are not here just to survive. You know that. You're tired of the blands. You're not here just to get money, make, have relationships. You know that you're here for this generation and you've been burying it, you've been avoiding it, but you know God's put you here. He's put you in this city at this time for this generation. And I just feel I just feel that God wants to come upon you with His Holy Spirit and anoint you for a generation. If that's you you're saying, Peter, I want God to use me. Do you know? I sometimes pray radical prayers. I've I've told God, honestly, I've said to God, God, I would rather be dead. I'd rather be dead than not bring you glory with my life. Honestly. I would hate just living a life that didn't see God glorified. I'd hate that. And I'm appealing to you to have that same radicalness in your heart. Have that same faith. You know that God has called you for more. Called you to in some way play your part. In seeing this generation reached, I just want to pray for you tonight. If that's you, and you're saying, God, whatever it takes, use me. God, whatever it takes, work in me, work through me. If that's you, I just want to pray for you. If that's you, just could you stand? And you're saying, God, I don't have to be famous, I don't have to be like Samson or Gideon, but I want to be used of God. I want to be a person of faith. So come, Holy Spirit, I ask, anoint, anoint these people. Just raise your hand before God. Whisper your prayers before him. Tell him you're up for it. Whisper, just tell him. Tell him, God, I'm up for it. Tell him, man, just be radical in your prayers. Pray bold prayers just now. Don't pray tame prayers, pray radical prayers. matter how, how popular being radical is these days. Just, just be as popular with God. Just be radical before Him. Pray big prayers right now. God, you hear these prayers. Father, God, you hear these prayers. God, we're saying, Father, we don't want to leave this world the same as it is. In Jesus' name. God, our heart aches for our land. Our heart aches for this generation. And God, our heart's desire is God's you'd be glorified in and through our lives. So Spirit of God, just as you came upon Othniel in the Old Testament, would you now come upon this people, us? We're saying, God, use us. Holy Spirit, come. Welcome. Come upon us right now. Infuse our life with your power. Let us see results that would only have been possible by the hand of God upon us. In Jesus' name. Jesus' name, just open your hands. Just receive from God. Come, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Oh, use us, God. 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 We don't care if anyone sees us, just use us. Work through us, God. More of you we pray. More of you on us and through us in Jesus' name. God has heard your prayers and God takes you at your word. Just stay in an atmosphere of worship. I want to give you an opportunity this evening. If you're here tonight, if everyone stands, everyone stand. If if you're here tonight and you've never made a decision to follow Jesus, Jesus is the king of all kings. God is so radical that in his love for you, 2,000 years ago, Jesus came into this world and he died in our place because we're sinners. He died for us, Sinners on the cross to rescue us and on the third day he rose again from the dead now I realize that's a lot to take in firstly that you're a sinner but secondly that God would love you so much that he would be willing to die literally die in your place so your sin could be taken away so that you could be in relationship with God so that instead of hell you could have heaven that's a lot to take in But it is a marvellous and glorious truth. If tonight you're here and you just know, man, I'm, I'm not connected with God yet. But you want to be connected with God? Then I want to help you make that connection. Simply, if that's you tonight and you're saying, Peter, I want God in my life. I don't know him, but I want to know him tonight. Then under your breath, just pray this prayer with me. Just between you and God, pray, Dear Lord God, Thank you for your love for me. Jesus, thank you for being willing to die on the cross for me. Thank you for rising again on the third day. And thank you you're alive right now. Tonight, I put my faith in you. I commit my life to you. Jesus, be my Savior. Be my Lord. You just prayed that prayer. God has heard you. I want to pray for you. If if you're here tonight and you prayed that prayer, can you just let me know you prayed that prayer just by raising your hand nice and high so I can see it? Is anyone like that tonight? Just raise your hand up. Everyone else is praying. Just put your hand nice and high in the air. Say, that's me tonight. Tonight, I'm choosing. Thank you. Thank you so much. Anyone else? Tonight, you're saying, that's me. I'm choosing to follow Jesus. God, thank you so much for this dear person tonight. They've just made a very big decision. And you've heard their prayer. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for their sins. And I pray right now they would know the forgiveness that comes with that sacrifice. Let them experience the love and acceptance of God. And I pray this will be the beginning of a new life for them. In Jesus' name.